Welcome back to another exciting episode of Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. I'm your host, Chappie, and let's jump right into it. Alright, thanks for being back with me for part two of our UFO and Alien Encounters episodes. Um, last episode is all about UFO sightings and Alien Encounter stories. And today, I kind of want to mix it up, get some of those too, but show you the worldwide impact that some of these sightings have made, and then what some governments and, you know, NASA has to say about it. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into our first article, which tells us that it's not localized, although a lot of stories that we share are from the United States. It's not all from the United States. There are countries such as Africa, Asia, Australia, and Oceania, miscellaneous Europe, you know, Canada, Switzerland, Portugal, Brazil, Spain, and Spanish-speaking countries. The UK are all some countries with eyewitness accounts of UFOs. So with that being said, let's hop into this article from artangel.org and check it out ufo sightings from around the world africa zimbabwe cynthia hine reported in november 1996 i went to bindura some 90 kilometers from harare to interview a 17 year old named lloyd karambakua a student at the herman to Muneer Secondary School, studying his zero levels. This is what he told me. At between 1 and 1.30 on March 6, 1996, he woke up, and because he knew it would be quiet at that hour, he decided to do some studying for his exams. Th he, whilst thus engaged, he heard a clicking sound, not unlike a telephone dialing, except there is no telephone in this area. It continued for some minutes, so Lloyd decided to check out what it could be. He opened the front door and looked outside. He could hear the sound coming from up the road, and when he glanced in that direction, he witnessed something very strange. He quickly went outside and hid behind a hedge to get a better view. He was able to observe a small figure, about one meter high, with a head like a rugby ball, dressed in all-white overalls. On its back, the creature had a small satchel, attached to which was an aerial with a red flashing light. Lloyd was terrified. He told me he was asphyxiated with fear and ran back into his house, jumped into bed, and covered himself with the blankets. He slept fitfully for the rest of the night. At six the next morning, he went to look where the creature had walked and found several footprints which he could not identify, which he attributed to the creature. When he arrived at school, he told his friends about seeing a ghost in the night, but one of his friends suggested it was a UFO. Lloyd is now under the impression that the creature is called a UFO. Opposite Lloyd's house is a teaching center guarded at night by a security firm. My inquiries led me to one of the guards who had been on duty at the center when she saw what she called a ghost. 
She was so disturbed by this event that she had found herself another job elsewhere. She told me that she heard clicking sounds and had been frightened, had hidden behind a wall and seen a figure in white. It passed her twice, and the second time the figure had been covered in rainbow colors. Zimbabwe. My name is John Reitman, and I farm near Feathersdorp, 150 kilometers from Harare. I am 31 years old. On the 5th of February, 1996, I woke up from a bad dream just after midnight when I heard a car go past. I got up and looked out of the bedroom window, which faces the front of the farm. I watched as two cars passed each other, a straight sight as there are usually few vehicles to be seen and none at night. One car pulled into my gate and I thought immediately, oh no, those guys are coming to pinch my new engine on the borehole. I rubbed my eyes and face to make sure I wasn't still asleep and I looked at the car again. It was long and wide and made a low humming sound. I could see lights at the back, a row of red lights, and the front lights was shown high enough to illuminate the treetops. This car, or object, stopped at my gate for a good 30 seconds, and then drove on, as if the gate had been opened. And then, and that was it. It was gone. I took my torch, my rifle, four farm workers, and my dog. I went out to the gate. Despite the fact it had just rained, there were no tire tracks or human tracks on the road. As we approached the gate, I could, hear, I could feel heat coming up from the surface of the road. A really oppressive heat radiating from the ground. Even my ears felt flushed with heat and my workers and I were soaked with perspiration. It was about 12.30 by now, so when we found nothing further, we all went back home. It was only the following morning that it occurred to me that when we reached the gate, it was closed. That meant the car had disappeared through a closed gate because I had been watching it when it disappeared and the gate hadn't moved. The next day, I sent one of the farm workers to fetch some sheep who were lost in the bush, and on his way back, he said he saw an object straddling the road. By the time he reached the spot, it was gone, but strangely enough, the sheep would not walk over the area where the object had been. Instead, they divided around it. My workers were convinced that it was a ghost. And because I am Christian myself, I believe it was a phantom or spiritual phenomenon of some sort. I don't believe in UFOs. South Africa. My name is Credo Mutwa. There are things that fly through the night that you call UFOs, that we in Africa call uh, Abahambi Abavuteo. The fiery visitors. Long before they heard, they were heard of in other parts of the world. We, the Af people of Africa, had contact with these things and the creatures inside them. I can only speak with certain constraints because we are not allowed to talk in detail about these sacred things, or else the starships will stop visiting us. There is a creature called the Mutende Ya Ning. The gray or white creature with a large head, whose face is chalk white with large green eyes that go around the creature's head, so it could look at you over its shoulder. The Matinde 
sometimes captures human beings, cuts them open, then closes them up again and makes them forget what happened. This is only discovered if the person is put into a trance and then he remembers. I was once abducted myself by fellows like little dolls. They paralyzed me, then painfully examined me by sticking instruments up my nostrils. A female creature seduced me, but it was very cold and unpleasant, a feeling of being violated. I then found myself back in the bush, and when I approached my village, all the dogs tried to attack me, and I had to be rescued. I then learned I had been missing for three days. There are many creatures who are watching over us curiously, and I think they are regulating our development for some reason. Asia. Japan. My name is Satsumi Tanaka. I am 42 years old and the owner of the beauty parlor in Anaka City, Gunma Prefecture. Last Sunday, October 23rd, I have seen the UFO, and it was the first time such a shocking matter happened to me. I never believed I would have such an experience, but surprisingly, it happened to me. I was on the second floor of my house and casually looking out the east window when I caught sight of a white object, rather big, the shape impossible to describe, rising softly and perpendicular from the surface of the ground. When we can see Mount Akagai, Akagai in the north-northeast direction, and it was the direction that the UFO rose, and I could, tell, could not tell how far away it was. It was about 10 o'clock in the morning. I wondered what it was. I thought at first it must be an airship or a balloon. I strained my eyes to see better, but could not understand what it was. After rising straight up, it stayed for a while on a constant height and seemed to become blurred outside. It then turned into an oval shape that is familiar to us from TV or magazines. It was the same object, but not the same shape as before, but the outline was not clear. Soon after, it moved to the right at a fast speed. It looked like a low-altitude flight, but it all happened so quickly and then it disappeared into the cloudless blue sky. I was so shocked. I felt out of my mind. This thing was so huge, but it disappeared just in a moment. I tried to explain what I saw to my wife and child who were right beside me, but I couldn't. I just pointed and could only shout out in my surprise. My wife was very annoyed and said that everyone cannot see UFOs. Only some people do and some don't. By then it had disappeared. I was so excited that I went outside with my daughter and searched the sky, but it was too late. I still can't believe I had such an experience. I will never forget that movement and that speed. Something beyond common sense. It means to me that things exist that we don't understand. Alright, Saudi Arabia. I'm called Shahi Bu Ain. On Thursday, March 26, 1966, I was camped with a party of Bedouins. We were staying near the beach outside of the town of Jebel, near the oil fields. That night, we were relaxing around the campfire, looking up at the stars from time to time, just as usual. Then suddenly, something never before seen appeared in the sky. It was very large, brilliant blue. It had the definite shape of an oval. 
I rubbed my eyes in disbelief. So did everyone else. I thought we were dreaming. We watched the bright blue oval for several minutes as it hovered directly overhead, not too far away. Then suddenly, it was gone. China. My name is Wang Kunkao. I live in Pusalu, a farming village 68 kilometers from Beijing. In my village, we believe something mysterious, perhaps cosmic forces, made themselves visible to us December 11, 1999. In the early evening, we saw an object about the size of a person and shimmering with gold light moved slowly up into the sky from beyond a nearby mountain. It was so beautiful, sort of yellow, shimmering. It looked like a supernatural being floating slowly up to heaven. This mysterious yellow object seemed to hover around the red roof of our small village hall. We just stood and watched until it suddenly disappeared. Then someone reported it to the authorities. I know this was something very real and very important. China. I am Colonel Li, commander of the airbase in Shenzhou, where the Military Flight Training Academy is located. On October 19, 1998, four radar stations in Hebei province reported the presence of an unidentified blip hovering over the academy. After ascertaining that the intruder was not a military or civilian flight, I ordered a Janal 6 fighter to take off and intercept the UFO. At least 140 people on the ground saw the object. To observers at the base, the UFO first appeared to be a small pointed star, and then grew larger and larger, perhaps as it descended to lower altitude. Witnesses described an object with a mushroom-shaped dome on top and a flat bottom, covering, covered with bright, constantly rotating lights. The crew of the Zhangzhou 6 interceptor consisted of a pilot and a radar officer. The two officers reported that the object clearly resembled depictions they had seen in foreign science fiction films. When they got within 4,000 meters of the UFO over Zing City, or Zing County, it abruptly shot upwards, easily evading subsequent attempts to get closer. The flight crew reported that it appeared to be toying with the plane by repeatedly outdistancing it, then reappearing right above. The pilot requested permission to fire on the UFO, and the plane's automatic 20mm cannon. I denied this permission to shoot and told him to continue to pursue and observe the object. The pilot broke off pursuit at an altitude of 12,000 meters when the plane began running low on fuel. The UFO then apparently disappeared before I could order additional planes to be sent. Alright, India. My name is Kanan. I am a teacher at a boys' school run by ISKCON in the village of Mayapura, West Bengal. I had a traditional Hindu religious upbringing, but later rebelled against this by adopting ideas of atheism and rational skepticism. However, I have now regained my interest in spiritual questions. As few years ago, I saw something that what was you would call a UFO, but I believe was a Vimana. It was during the Desert Storm battle. 
I had a class in the evening, and I was listening to the BBC News of Battle, and some of the Batki Sastri boys in front of my house. We were following Saddam Hussein very meticulously at all his movements. So I would put all the boys in front of my house in the evening. We would lay out a mat, put out the lights, and play the radio under the stars. It was about 8 p.m. As I was sitting there, I just looked up and saw this very bright blue light overhead. It started from the Druva star, the pole star that you can see behind our school building. It started from there and it was moving very fast. Then when it came directly overhead, it seemed to slow down and then stop. It had a tail at the back that started small and became bigger. And very clear, there was a solid object in front of that. It was not a star or a satellite, and it was not very high. I was already staring at it when one boy said, What is that, Pradu? And the other boy said, What is that? What is that? We all got up and we were looking at it. There were six of us, five boys and me. My wife was in the kitchen cooking something, and she came out too because we were all shouting. So it was at maybe one and a half palm trees height from the roof of our hut, which is not very high. It was less than five stories above us. We saw it very clearly. Most of them were concentrating on the light. I looked in the front and saw it was a clear object. It was not a star, and it was not far away. It was right there. It was also like moving around itself very slowly, and it moved slowly away towards the Shalangi River, where it suddenly picked up speed and disappeared. It was like somebody who slows down to look at something. It was very, very interesting, and the boys kept asking about it. Boys ask all sorts of questions. But anyway, to my understanding, it was actually a Vimana, and for some reason, they can become bigger or become smaller. It was an abnormal thing, and we were completely helpless just looking at it. When I described it to a Muslim gentleman, an old farmer, he said that in the sky over Mayapura, there are so many things like this. Things that come, things that go. So many things happen because this is Mahaprahu's place. So it's not surprising that such things are seen in the sky over his land. All right, jumping right back in. Australia and Oceania. Australia. I don't wish to give my name. I was a teacher in South Australia for many years. In 1976, I was hoovering my sitting room floor at around noon. Suddenly, I felt quite ill and thought I was going to be sick. So I sat down on the sofa to see if the sick feeling would subside. I then saw that I was not alone. There were three, three strange little people standing alongside the sofa, just looking at me. I froze with fear, as I had never seen anything like them before, not even in films. Two of them were short and fat, about four to four and a half feet tall, with broad faces and enormous black eyes, with only a hint of where a nose or a mouth might have been almost like a pencil drawing. They had wispy bits of brown hair at the back of their heads. They were wearing brown shrouds or robes. This, 
These beings I instinctively knew instinctively were the workers. The other being was female, thin and about five feet tall. She wore a black shroud and had black wispy hair at the back of her head. Her face was very elongated, with huge, dark, piercing eyes. Like the others, there was just a hint of where a nose or a mouth could have been. The thin one started to speak to me with her mind, and told me I was to go with them. I said in my own mind that I would not go. Somehow, this telepathic communication seemed perfectly normal at the time, and I felt quite comfortable communicating like that. I was very frightened, but I could still communicate and understand. I was so frightened because it seemed like they were pulling me away with their minds. I had to struggle to resist them. At one point, I remember falling down and trying to crawl towards the door. I must have fainted or something because I have no memory from that point onwards. When my husband came home at the usual time, I realized I lost about four hours. I still have no explanation for this experience. Alright, Australia. My name is Patrick Knowles. My family and I have been the victim of a media frenzy since first telling our story. Now I very much regret making it public. We have experienced unrelenting ridicule, being described as crazy or accused of making up a hoax just for money, and so on. But we only wanted people to know what happened to us. We weren't after anything. It happened on January 20, 1998. Or 1988. My mother, two brothers, and I were driving from Perth to Melbourne. We were going to drive straight through in shifts. And we planned to cross the desert at night. When the heat wasn't so bad. By 2.30am, we were in Nullarbor Plain. We stopped for petrol and switched drivers. Sean was driving, and I was in the front seat next to him. The road was empty. Suddenly, we saw a bright yellow light up ahead, and Sean slowed down. As we got closer, the yellow light seemed to be emanating from an egg-shaped object, hovering just above ground level. We thought we might be seeing things, but then a caravan passed going the other way, and it swerved sharply to avoid the luminous egg. The closer we got to it, the more we realized it wasn't a normal vehicle, or road signal, or anything like that. Sean swerved to avoid it, and we continued on, leaving it behind. Suddenly, the object started towards us. It appeared to accelerate with a tremendous speed. We drove on, and it literally chased us. The faster we went to get away from it, the faster this object went after us. I reckon we reached a speed of 125 miles per hour, but it caught up in a matter of seconds. Then Sean made a sudden U-turn and headed back west in the direction of the petrol station. The UFO also turned around. I don't know how the hell it was flying, because it didn't have wings or anything like wings. It just kept coming after us. Sean made another U fast U-turn, heading back towards Melbourne, again but the ufo turned as well and kept pace with the car in the back seat everyone was scared the dog started barking and whining then suddenly we were hit it shot a beam of light out and it punctured our back tire the back tire was on fire we started sliding across the road i realized if we braked we would have to confront the ufo 
but Sean didn't have any choice. Then it landed on the roof of the car and picked the car up. It lit up the car like a microwave. The heat was intense. Our hair was standing straight up, and we felt really funny, like we were being dehydrated. It was awful and frightening, like our brains were being sucked out. My fear was that I would be pulled out of my body. I put my hand out the window and touched something spongy that burned my hand. I thought we were going to die. You could actually feel that car rising into the air. The car began to fill with a thick black fog. It was so hot, and all this soot, this junk, started covering us. Our voices started changing. You know how a tape deck sounds when the batteries start to go flat? That's what it was like, and then I passed out. I came to when I heard a tremendous noise, like a bang, and our car suddenly dropped back to earth. Dawn was coming up. The thing just flew away. It was the last thing we saw. I had to change the tire, and we tried to clean out the black soot. Where were the marks on the roof of the car? As soon as we could, we drove fast to the nearest roadhouse. We were too shocked to talk for a while. When we realized we had lost a couple of hours during the incident, we called the police. The funny thing was, they were already looking for us. Someone, maybe the people in the caravan we passed, had phoned the police anonymously. The report states that they witnessed our car being picked up off the road and shaken violently. They noticed the car was covered in black ash. The police inspected our car and noted the ash, the bad smell, and the dents on the roof. They were, con they were convinced something had occurred. They took us to the hospital where we were treated for burns and shock. But then the media got a hold of the incident. I don't think a single reporter or journalist asked sensible questions or tried to console us for our fear. They just wanted to humiliate us. When our car was examined for, by forensic scientists, they found unexplained high concentrations of chlorine, an element not usually present in cars, animals, or desert environment. My family does not need proof of this sort because we all know what we witnessed and what we went through that night. Wow. Papua New Guinea. My name is Alex James. I live in Pelipia Community, New Guinea. About 7 p.m. last Tuesday, November 6, 1999, I went with four friends to Pilapila Community School for rugby practice. We were going back to our village after dark when we saw some bright lights approaching. There were a lot of people about, some coming back from bathing, others were sitting around eating their dinners. When we saw the lights, they all ran inside and locked their doors, except for a few who just stood and stared. As the UFO approached us, we heard no sound. The streetlights all dimmed, just like a torch when the batteries are failing. It hovered over the coconut palms and looked huge. It was oblong in shape. As it passed slowly overhead, my friends and I were almost frozen as we watched. We felt as though we could not move or speak, because we were so shocked by the sight. Postame me tingum god papa. Na nupella millennium na behind me tingam o movie awesome Star Wars. I think that was a different language. <laughs> The bottom of the UFO was 
oblong shape with bright lights all around the edges, <laughs> and the top was like a pyramid shape with lights around it also. Just bright white, no colors. It was huge and took over 30 minutes to pass by. We checked the time. When it was hovering over us, it seemed to be as bright as day. The whole place was lit up like bright daylight. That's how bright the lights were. The object just disappeared in the same direction of the mountains, near Vuvu. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought they were going to, like, translate that, but <laughs> that's funny. I just kept reading. I was, like, hoping it was a word I recognized. <laughs> All right. New Zealand. My name is Edith Perkins. At 8.30, Monday, March 30th, 1998, I was doing some chores in our backyard. This is in Bexley, just north of Christchurch, South Island, New Zealand. I saw something in the sky, like a capsule or a cigar-shaped object. At first, it had silver whitish body with a darker gray forked tail. Then I looked at it. It was just overhead, seeming to, come in to be coming closer. I was facing west. The rounded edges, front and back of the object, called my attention to it initially. Its size appeared to be about 10 centimeters long, if held at arm's length. I suppose it was about 30,000 feet high, but it seemed very puzzling that there was no jet trail behind it. So I went indoors to patch a pair of 7 by 35 binoculars. My husband joined me and our car home car nurse, home care nurse. As we three watched, a very bright light completely covered the object. It did not happen as a flash of light. It seemed to start up and then finish with a burst of light. I was seeing a different rear design on the craft with a forked end to it. The color was now dark gray. Another burst of light occurred and the object presented a rim all around the craft with either intermittent colored lights on the rim and else the room was composed of rotating colored lights. These were in the tones of reddish-orange. The object then flew out over Pegasus Bay toward the northeast. Right? Hawaii. My name is Glenna Heller. This happened two years ago. I live in an apartment in the southernmost tip of Kauai. There were no further than perhaps 20 feet from our apartment, just going home, when out of the west came an enormous ball of light, moving very, very fast. It was opaque, white-yellow in the center, with many colors around the peripheries. It appeared to have a tail of light. No sound accompanied the object whatsoever, and it was very low to the ground, perhaps as much as 100 feet above our heads. As it reached nearly above us, it divided into three balls of light, all same size and color. As it moved to the east and away from us, we saw it divide into seven orbs. I telephoned a friend on the north end of the island and told her to go outside quickly. She described what she saw to me, and it was the same some seven or so objects lights near the ground. It appeared to be circling the island. The following day, our newspaper read, Mysterious Light Show, with a full account of what had been seen, including the fact that similar occurrences had been viewed on Hawaii's big island the night before. No explanation had been found for that sighting either. It was identical to what we had seen. 
Europe, Poland. I am Dr. B. Plasic. The extraordinary event I am about to report was also witnessed by Mrs. E. Pluta and Messrs. Something. J. Kaminska, G. Lundorf. On 5th of September 1980, Mrs. Pluta was pregnant, began to experience labor pains, and the ambulance was called. She and I, plus the driver and stretch bearer, were traveling along a deserted country road when we encountered quite suddenly at 3.15 a.m. a huge crimson globe that came down out of the sky and paced the ambulance for about 45 minutes. As we were a team of professional medical workers, our first concern was the safety of the mother and the baby, and we were concerned a, the UFO is a distracting threat. For this reason, we did not get very emotional at the time. However, we came to a level crossing, and the two attendants in their hut were simply shaking with fear at the sight. We had to halt because the road was blocked by a huge, the huge crimson ball. To be more specific, this is what I believe we saw. At first, all of us in the ambulance saw the globes, the globe as a big red ball in the sky, some distance away. It looked larger than the full moon and was dark crimson in color. It immediately descended to treetop height and hovered about 500 meters from the ambulance. One second it hung in the sky about cloud level, the next it was hovering between two trees either side of the road at middle distance. All of us sensed the globe's ominous approach. As it cruised towards us at a very low height, following the road, I was always aware that it was never exactly in the sky, but probably was not very high above ground at that time either. As our ambulance approached the level crossing, so did the globe, and we each stopped there. The globe was less than a meter above the surface of the road. I got out to speak to the crossing attendants. I said, Can you see what I see? And they said, We've been observing it for some time. I went back to the ambulance and told the other. They cannot help us at all. They're trembling with fear. At that point, Mrs. Pluta's labor contractions became more frequent, and we felt it was urgent to get to the hospital immediately. Since our path was blocked, I decided to call the police. I reported that there was an obstacle in the way and asked them to come immediately. What kind of obstacle? They asked. A UFO, I replied. It was now 4.10 a.m., and all we could do was stay there and stare at the UFO. We had plenty of time to observe its details. Its surface displayed curved bands and stripes, with multiple of black lines traversing up and down in irregular patterns. These clear-cut markings reminded me of veins inside the human body. The ambulance driver said they looked to him like a huge net. As we watched, parts of the surface changed colors. There appeared to be orange-yellow patches on the deep crimson background. Then the globe dropped to only about 10 centimeters above the road, constantly changing colors, pulsating, but always with dull, muted tones. Suddenly, it gave off a strong white light that was so bright it reflected on the surface of the road. Out of sheer exasperation, our driver flashed his headlights at it twice. Immediately, inexplicably, it simply vanished. It was 4.15 a.m. At 6.10 a.m., Mrs. Pluta gave birth to a daughter in the hospital. 
A careful examination of the whole area in the daylight revealed nothing. Lithuania. I am Val Valentinus Luknavichas. <laughs> I'm butchering these names. I apologize. Chief of Police in Vilnius, Vilnius, Lithuania. Recently, I had to appear on the radio to explain that two policemen who had been reported seeing something extraordinary were known to me to be reliable witnesses and were of sound and honest mind. There has been considerable public anxiety about this matter, arising from what I consider to be media hysteria about their official report. On June 26, 1996, the entire police force of Villanus was put on alert. The two officers stated that they observed a round shining object on the main Villanus route at around half past midnight, 10 kilometers from the capital city near the village of Nimjis. The object was flashing bright light, and hovered 20 to 30 meters above the ground. At the same time, you could hear a strange sound, like electricity crackling, they said, and the two men approached the UFO after watching it for almost half an hour. When they were some 50 meters from it, the object started to move upwards and away from them into the air, then accelerated towards Villanus. At that point, an alert was put out and van loads of Rapid Reaction Force police and tracker dogs arrived on the scene, but the UFO had disappeared. We conducted official tests on the area's ground composition, measured air radiation, and took surrounding recordings. The grass in the area for 10 meters around where the UFO was reported to have been sighted was visibly flattened. Germany Hello, we are searching for anyone who has witnessed the following story that happened to my wife and me in the evening of April 3rd, 1998. All right, this happened in Germany, Morgan, approximately 100 kilometers south of Hanover. It was dark and cloudy, no moon, no stars, when we were driving by car through the village name Fridelsel. When my wife glanced at the sky out of the side window, she saw something dark suddenly covering the sky over our car. I drove the car and watched the road, so at the time I saw nothing. One minute later, a big rotating object flew down the hill over the meadow and crossed the road just over our car. We only saw the lights, which were in two concentric circles, about ten in the order of seven on the outer, seven on the inner. The diameter was about 50 meters. There were no colored lights. All the lights were white and as bright as the headlights of a car. The rotation speed was about 1.5 rotations per second, so it wasn't easy to watch a single light. The diameter of one light was about 0.5 meter. The object flew at a height of 10 to 20 meters over the fields into a wood. I turned by changing its inclination just like an airplane or helicopter has to do to fly a curve. It quickly returned back to the road to stop beside our car and fly with the same speed, 100 kilometers an hour. 
it lifted up, changing its inclination to me so I could see its amazing size. Two seconds later, it flew over the car to the other side, turned with the same movement to fly over the car again. This was repeated five or six times on our way. This wasn't all, but should be enough. There was no sound or noise except the motor of the car. There was no smell. The radio was turned off. The maximum speed of the object was about 400 to 500 kilometers an hour. The, observ the observed acceleration, 2 to 3 G. It's impossible that this projection, this was a projection on the cloudy day. When I look out the side window, I can't see the sky, only the hill. I met three other cars. Did they see the same thing? All right, Sweden. Call me Anders. On Saturday, March 23rd, 1974, I left a local election celebration and decided to walk home, about five kilometers away. I'd had a few glasses, but was still sober. It was a starry, moonlit night, and I decided to take a shortcut that led over a hill. As I was climbing, a bright light came from behind, which I thought was a fast car. I moved off the road onto the grass verge when I realized it was not a car. The light passed right over me, almost touching my head, very quick. When I found myself immediately outside my home in Lindholm, ringing the doorbell frantically. When my wife opened the door, she saw that I had a wound on my forehead and my cheek was burnt. The next day, I telephoned the National Defense and was interviewed in detail by two investigators. They told me there were other witnesses. A woman cyclist reported seeing the light at the same time I did. A couple driving nearby saw what they thought was a new water tower with extremely bright lights shining out of its windows. Later, they realized there was no water tower at that spot. I still have a scar on my face to this day. Whenever I touch it, I feel a tingling sensation, and I experience a wonderful feeling of oneness, of unity with the earth itself. Denmark. In June 1951, I heard a strange whistling sound and saw an object land in the meadow. I approached to it within 50 meters, only to find myself completely unable to move. I noticed that the birds had stopped singing and the cows also appeared to be paralyzed. From the object I saw, four handsome men came out. They had brown skin and wore black shiny suits with translucent helmets. USSR. My name is Miss E. Lasnaya. In 1936, when I was 15, I was living in Kazakhstan. At the time, I had never heard of UFOs and did not even know the existence of science fiction books or magazines. In the winter, every morning I went to school by a lonely country road. On that particular day, it was already light enough the sun had not yet risen. The weather was fine and it was freezing. Suddenly I got sight of a dark point moving rapidly in the sky to my left. It came closer, grew larger, and in a matter of seconds I saw a man-like figure dressed in black and seen in profile. This figure was, to my mind, of media, medium height. His black clothes covered him completely, like overalls. I could clearly see his head, and more exactly, something like a helmet, 
enormously and enormous square arms tightly fixed to his body. I could see behind his back an oval thing, something like a rucksack. Looking with fright at the flying man, I suddenly noticed that he had changed his course and was now flying towards me. When he turned, I saw his right arm was slightly bent at the elbow. Now I saw him full face, but could not discern any features because in the place of a face, there was just an entirely black surface. At that instant, I heard an increasing rumble, as if it was a flying mechanism, not a living being. By now, the distance between us had shortened to about 40 meters. I was terrified and tried to look somewhere to hide, but there was nowhere in the snow-covered steep. I then turned again towards the flying man and saw nobody. Nothing unusual was to be seen. Maybe he had been had made a sudden change in his course, or maybe he had dived in the snowbank, but the next minute I was running towards my home. This sighting only lasted a minute, but I have remembered every detail clearly all these years. Italy. I am Major Francesco Zoppi, former chief pilot of the Orsa Major Squadron of the Italian Army Light Aircraft Corps, 21st Helicopter Group. On October 27, 1977, we had taken off in the helicopters for a normal training flight, when at a distance of 300 meters, I saw in front of me an extremely bright orange-colored circle. It looked like a ring of fire in the sky. We at once contacted the control tower, who replied that nothing was visible from the ground. Meanwhile, the fiery circle continued to be there, right in front of us, and moving at a speed almost identical to our own. When I asked the other two helicopters of our squadron whether they could see it, one said they could and confirmed that they were seeing the same thing as we were, while the third helicopter, piloted by Captain Romolo Romani, replied that he saw nothing. The luminous circle then suddenly vanished at a speed impossible for any aircraft of this world to equal. I called the control tower again and was informed that in the meantime, other people had seen it and had been following it with binoculars, but the radar had detected nothing. Malta. Mr. X was driving along a dirt road near Fom Junri at 9 p.m. He heard a buzzing noise which increased in pitch until his car's engine went dead. He looked out the window and saw what he described as a platina leg, a glowing plate-like object. This appeared to be descending directly onto his car. He panicked and tried to get out the door, but the door seemed jammed. He could do nothing except brace himself for impact. When nothing happened, he looked out again and saw the object hovering at 20 meters above his car. The noise it had emitted became a hum. It hovered over him for 10 minutes. During that time, he didn't move from his seat. Without warning, it rose at an incredible speed until disappearing into the distance. The car normally started, and frightened out of his wits, Mr. X drove like a madman to where he had to meet his friend. On the way, he stopped for a drink, a double whiskey, and recounted his story to the barman. The barman, who is, pers is personally known to the researcher, confirmed that Mr. X looked as if he had seen a ghost. Mr. X was illiterate, so his story could not have been faked after having read a UFO book.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right. So that gives you a taste of what that article had to offer. If I were to read the whole article, it would take two hours. There are a lot of UFO sightings and alien encounters all over the world. Um, Sorry if I didn't mention your country. It's still on that article, though, um, if you want to go check for yourself. We're going to hop on over to some more stuff so that we can pack some more into this episode. We're hopping over to ABC News. An article by Luis Martinez called The Pentagon Now Reports About 400 UFO Encounters. We want to know what's out there. It's in quotes. Officials are reasonably sure pyramid-shaped objects in one video were drones. Top Pentagon officials told a House panel on Tuesday that there are now close to 400 reports from military personnel of possible encounters with UFOs, a significant increase from the 144 tracked in a major report released last year by the U.S. intelligence community. A Navy official also said on Tuesday's hearing that investigators are reasonably confident that the floating pyramid-shaped objects captured on one leaked, widely seen military video were drones. That footage, while the military confirmed last year was authentic, had helped spur the interest in purported UFOs, also referred to as unified, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, or UAPs. Indiana Representative Andre Carson, the Democratic Chairman of the House Intelligence Counterterrorism, Counterintelligence, and Counterproliferation Subcommittee, called Tuesday's hearing, the first in more than 50 years focused on the aerial incidents. UAPs, Car- Carson said, are potential national security threat, and we need to be treat and need to be treated that way. For too long, the stigma associated with UAPs has gotten in the way of good intelligence analysis. He added, "Pilots avoid reporting and were laughed at when they did." A number of UAP reports has risen to approximately 400 a significant increase from the 144 between 2004 and 2021 that were tracked in last year's report, according to Scott Bray, the Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence. Bray told the House panel that the spike was due to a reduction in the stigma associated with stepping forward to report such incidents in the wake of the 2021 report. We've seen such an increasingly number of 
unauthorized and unidentified aircraft or objects and military control training areas and training ranges and other designated airspace, Bray said. Reports of sightings are frequent and continuous. But Bray believes many of the newly disclosed accounts are actually historic reports that are narrative-based from prior incidents that people are now com coming forward with, which leads him to believe that there will be fewer new accounts in the future. Last year's intelligence report could only explain one of the documented 104 encounters and did not contain the word alien or extraterrestrial. The report stated that the UAP instance would require further study. At Tuesday's hearing, Bray echoed last year's conclusion that most of the phenomena were likely physical objects and noted that the UAP task force doesn't have any wreckage that isn't consistent with being terrestrial origin. Even so, Bray said, questions remain. I can't point to something that definitely was not man-made, but I can point to a number of examples which remain unresolved. Bray said, citing a video of a 2004 incident in which a Navy pilot recorded an unusual tic-tac-like object over the water. We want to know what's out there as much as you want to know what's out there, said Ronald Moultrie, the Pentagon's top intelligence official who also testified at the hearing. Moultrie said the Pentagon is establishing an office to speed up the identification of previously unknown or unidentified airborne objects in a methodical, logical, and standardized manner. We also understand that there has been a cultural stigma surrounding UAP. Our goal is to eliminate the stigma by fully incorporating our operators and mission personnel into standardized data gathering process. Our goal is to strike that delicate balance, one that enables us to maintain the public's trust while preserving those capabilities that are vital to the support of our service personnel. Bray said, Navy and Air Force crews now have a step-by-step step, step procedure for reporting it on an UAP on their kneeboard in the cockpit, that these efforts have led to more reporting. The increasingly mainstream interest in UFOs and UAPs have sparked in recent years by leaks of once-classified videos and the Navy's release of footage that there are pilots' own encounters. At Tuesday's hearing, the defense officials played three clips to help explain how brief the aerial incidents could be, making it very difficult to determine what was seen in the videos. In one of the more notable cases, the official detailed how considerable effort went into determining a theory for what was observed. Bray played footage taken in July of 2019 off the California coast from the deck of the destroyer USS Russell that seemed to show several pyramid-shaped objects hovering above the ship. Bray acknowledged that the investigators did not initially have an explanation for what was seen in the green night scope video until they were able to contrast it with more recent video of an incident that occurred off the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. Officials who look at the video found the similar pyramid shape. They concluded the phenomena were likely from drones that had been seen on sensors from another Navy asset. We're now reasonably confident that these triangles correlate to unmanned aerial systems in the area. The triangular appearance is a result of light passing through the night vision goggles and then being recorded 
by an SLR camera. This is a great example of how it takes considerable effort to understand what we're seeing in examples that we're able to collect. Ahead of the hearing, Jeremy Corbell, a documentary filmmaker and UFO enthusiast who made public that pyramid video last year, said he was happy to see increasing awareness and government action. What is so great is that this is a direct response to public will, Corbell told ABC News. It is direct response to public pressure. It is representative government representing the citizens and their interests. I'm encouraged by the public desire to know and find out the truth of what UFOs represent to mankind. It is the biggest story of our time, and finally we're beginning to have the conversation without ridicule or stigma that has so injured the search of scientific truth on the topic. Moultrie, the Pentagon official, said at Tuesday's hearing that he wasn't immune to a bit of the zeal himself on the science fiction as a science fiction fan. I've gone to the conventions, I'll say it on the record, gotta break the ice somehow, he told the panel in the lighthearted line of questioning, adding, we have had our inquisitiveness, we have our questions. The Library of Congress. Finding our place in the cosmos, from Galileo to Sagan and beyond. UFOs and aliens among us. In the 1940s and 50s, reports of flying saucers became an American cultural phenomenon. Sights of strange objects in the sky became a raw material for Hollywood to present visions of potential threats. Posters for films like Earth vs. the Flying Saucers from 1956 illustrate these fears. Connected to ongoing ideas about life on the moon, the canals on Mars, and ideas that the Martian civilizations Flying saucers have become to represent the hope and fears of the modern world. Are these alleged vis visitors from other worlds peaceful and benevolent, or would they attack and destroy humanity? The destructive power of the atomic bomb called into question the progressive potential of technology. Fear of the possibilities for destruction in the Cold War era proved fertile ground for terrestrial anxieties to manifest visions of flying saucers and visitors from other worlds, who might be hidden among us in plain sight. Aliens Among Us and Fear of the Others If UFOs were visiting our world, where, where were these extraterrestrials? Could they be hidden among us? Comic books and television illustrates how the possibility of extraterrestrial visitors reflected anxieties of that era. In 1962, there are Martians Among Us, from The Amazing Fantasy number 15, illustrates the way fear of extraterrestrials could reflect Cold War anxieties. In the comic, a search party gathers around a landed alien craft, but it can find no sign of alien beings. Radio announcers warn those nearby to stay indoors. The action shifts to a husband and wife as he prepares to leave their home, despite a television announcer warning to remain indoors. As he waves goodbye, he reminds his wife to stay inside. The wife, however, decides to slip out to the store and is attacked and dragged off. The husband returns home, finding it empty, runs towards the telephone in a panic. In a twist, the ancient husband reveals that he and his wife are the Martians. Wow. 
The fear that there might be an alien enemy in our midst resonates with the fears of the Soviets and communists from the McCarthy era. Ultimately, in the story, the humans are the ones who accost and capture the alien woman. The shift in perspective puts the humans in the position of the monsters. Right? Scientists and astronomers express varying, varying degrees of enthusiasm for the possibility of intelligent life in the universe. However, scientists generally dismiss the idea that there are aliens visiting Earth. In Pale Blue Dot, A Vision of Human Future in Space, Carl Sagan reviews the possibilities of alien visitors to Earth and suggests that there is a good reason to be skeptical of them. Much of Sagan's work focuses on debunking folk stories and beliefs and tries to encourage more rigorous and skeptical thought. He similarly discussed criticisms of beliefs in alien visitors in his early book, Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. This zealous criticism of the belief in UFOs from Sagan, who was well known for his speculative ideas about the likelihood of alien civilizations, might seem to be a contradiction. Sagan himself had even speculated on the possibilities of visits by ancient aliens in his essay from the early 60s. How do we reconcile Sagan the skeptic with the imaginative Sagan? For, from a contradiction, these two parts of Sagan's perspective offer a framework for understanding him and the interchange between science and myth about the life on other worlds. Skepticism and speculative imagination come together as two halves of the whole. It's essential to entertain and explore new ideas, however strange, while at the same time testing and evaluating the validity of those ideas. All right, also on the Library of Congress, Finding Our Place in the Cosmos, from Galileo to Sagan and beyond. But this one is Messages to and from Outer Space. As the 20th century began, interest in the potential life on Mars and possible civilizations there led to a search for signals. Could we communicate with another planet? How might we look for signals and messages from other worlds? In 1896, newspaper article titled A Signal, a Signal from Mars offered one example of how we might receive communications from the planet. In noting a luminous projection of the southern edge of the planet, the article suggests this might be because the inhabitants of Mars were flashing messages to Earth. We can find this same idea in a piece of music, a 1901 piece, A Signal from Mars, March and Two-Step, offers music that Martians might be playing for us. From the cover illustration, it would appear the one rather civilized Martian is using a spotlight to communicate the tune while the others watch Earth with a telescope. Soon the development of radio technology would provide a much more powerful way to listen and send messages to other worlds. Tesla promises radio communication with Mars. In the late 19th and early 20th century, the idea and development of wireless telegraphy, sending and receiving electromagnetic waves through the air, offered new method of searching for communication from space. In 1901, engineer Nikola Tesla 
who is also purportedly a Venetian from the planet Venus, some claim, made the astonishing claim that he was receiving radio communications from Mars. His story was picked up and purportedly um, broadly in the press, reported on broadly in the press. An article from the Richmond Times offered an extensive description and commentary on his alleged discovery. As he sat beside his instrument on the hillside in Colorado, in deep silence of the austere, inspiring region, where you plant your feet in gold and your head brushes the constellations, as he sat there one evening alone, his attention exquisitely alive at that juncture, was arrested by a faint sound from the receiver. Three fairy taps, one after another, at fixed intervals. What man who ever lived on this earth would not envy Tesla at that moment. While Tesla alleged communication with Mars captured the media attention, it did not capture much serious interest from scientists. Hello, Earth. As radio took off, so did the stories communicating with Mars. One such article from 1920, Hello, Earth. Hello, Macaroni believes he's receiving signal from the planets provides extensive commentary on the similar signals observed by the Italian engineer Guillermo Macaroni. Marconi. Aside from the describing this discovery, the article quotes, Thomas Edison is saying that Marconi's work offers good grounds for the theory that inhabitants of other planets are trying to signal us. As radio developed as a medium for communications in the early 20th century, it also positioned for listening for contact from other worlds. While it would quickly become clear there weren't signals from Mars, radio would play a critical role in the search for life on other worlds. In the 1930s and 40s, radio became an invaluable instrument for observing the heavens. As astronomers began developing radio telescopes, they made discoveries of various sources of electromagnetic waves in the heavens, and these became useful sources of observation data about space. Intergalactic contact and the Drake equation. In the 1960s, Frank Drake, Carl Sagan, and a number of other scientists began searching for signals indicating the existence of intelligent life elsewhere in the universe. As it became increasingly clear that there was no intelligent life on other planets in the solar system, it became possible to detect signals from much further away. The Drake equation was a way to estimate the number of civilizations out in the galaxy that could be sending out radio signals we could detect. The goal of this equation is to define the parameters for figuring out the possible number of civilizations in our galaxy that we might be able to communicate with. Each of the variables after the equals sign are multiplied together to get the result. R is the rate of the star formation FP is the fraction of those stars in the planet. Any is the average number of planets that could, in theory, support life. This would be the fraction of planets that could support life that at some point do in fact support life. Souther is the fraction of those planets that actually develop intelligence. Uh, and so on and so forth. In general, Sagan and Drake were excited about the possibility of contacting intelligent life in the universe because their own ideas about the progressive value of technology and science. Those civilizations, which possibly could have existed longer than ours, would 
have, in their minds, likely gotten past petty things like war, violence, and conquest. Voyager's Message to Future Times and Beings What do you say to super-intelligent alien race on behalf of all inhabitants of Earth? Or at least, how would you sum up humanity to the universe just in case someone was listening? This was the question posed to Carl Sagan and a team he assembled to develop the content for the Voyager record. In a letter to Alan Lomax, Carl Sagan called the Voyager record a cosmic greeting card. Both the Voyager spacecraft, launched in 1977, carry copies of these records. Earlier, Sagan had been involved in crafting a message placed on Pioneer 10 and 11 the first NASA missions that would leave our solar system. The plans for messages to travel with the Voyager mission was set out in much grander scale. The records contained sounds and images selected to portray the diversity of life and culture on Earth. To illustrate the diversity of its image contents, it contains an x-ray of a human hand, a street scene from Pakistan, an image of a violin next to a music score, Images of the planets Mercury and Mars, diagrams of the structure of DNA, and definitions of a range of units of measure. For audio recordings, each record contained greetings from Earth in 55 languages and 90 minutes of music, including recordings as diverse as Johnny B. Good, written and performed by Chuck Berry, a selection from the Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, ethnographing recording of music from the Solomon Islands, Peru, China, and India. After the launch of Voyager Pros, in a birthday message to Chuck Berry, Carl Sagan and Anne Droyan suggest that his music is now quite literally out of this world. Right. At the dawn of the 20th century, many looked into finding signals from Mars and patterns in light. The advent of radio greatly expanded the search beyond our solar system. While scientists have yet to find signals from another world, they haven't stopped looking. In fact, we took it upon ourselves to reach out first and have tried to compose literally universal messages for the ages. All right, we go over to The Hill, who has a really cool article. Um, NASA used religious experts to predict how humans may react to aliens by Brooke Mcden. It was written late last year. The story at a glance. Religious experts have examined how each of the world's major religions may respond to news that intelligent life exists on other planets. One religious scholar has said, the scholar, the Reverend Dr. Andrew Davidson, said his work focused on the connection between astrobiology and Christian theology, and the prospect of there having been many incarnations of Jesus Christ. Davidson said in an upcoming book that a large number of people would seek religious guidance should aliens ever be discovered. All right, let's begin. Two dozen theologians participated in a program funded partially by NASA to research how humans may react to news that intelligent life exists on other planets, according to one religious scholar who says he was recruited. 
The Reverend Dr. Andrew Davidson of the University of Cambridge told the Times UK in a recent interview that he was among 23 other theologians in a NASA-sponsored program at the Center for Theological Inquiry at Princeton University from 2016 to 2017. Davidson said he and his colleagues examined how each of the world's major religions would likely respond if they were made aware of the existence of aliens. His own work focused on the connection between astrobiology and the Christian theology. Will Storer, director of CTI, wanted NASA, said NASA wanted to see serious scholarship between published being published in books and journals, addressing the profound wonder and mystery and implications of finding microbial life on another planet, the Times reported. In a statement posted to the University of Cambridge's Faculty of Divinity blog, Davidson said his research most, mostly concentrated on the concept of Christian or Christology, or the study of who Christ was both a human and a divine being. The most significant question there is probably whether one would respond theologically to the prospect of life elsewhere in terms of there having been many incarnations or only the one theologians talk about in Jesus, he wrote at the time. I've also been thinking about the doctrine of creation, especially in terms of how it deals with the themes of multiplicity and diversity. Davidson added in the blog post that his research hasn't been limited to religious text around which other research on the topic of extraterrestrial life has tended to center. I think theologically about life elsewhere in the universe, there has been a tendency to pick up mainly on passages from previous theological work, where other life has been the topic under discussion. I want to move beyond that and join the discussion to a much wider range of material and perspectives. Perhaps the main discovery I would report on to date is finding just how frequently theology and astrobiology has been a topic in popular writing for at least a century and a half. Davidson's upcoming books, book Astrobiology and Christian Doctrine, set to be published in 2022, will cover part of this work with CTI and NASA. According to the portion of Davidson's book obtained by the Times, a large number of people would turn to religious traditions for guidance if aliens were ever discovered. Detection of alien life might come in a decade, or only in future centuries, or perhaps never at all. But if or where it does, it will be useful to have thought through the implications in advance. NASA's astrobiology program provides partial funding through a grant to CTI in 2015, with the agency-funded portion of the project concluding in 2017. A NASA spokesperson confirmed to Changing America, NASA was not directly involved in the selection of researchers for the study. All right. Very cool. Let's jump into some stuff I found on aliens and demons. In Interfax.com, there's an article called Russian Orthodox Church Equates Aliens with Demons. Moscow, April 20th. The Russian Orthodox Church has refused to recognize the existence of other civilizations outside of Earth. 
If civilizations really existed on other planets, our holy scripture, the Bible, would definitely say something about that. If it doesn't say anything about that, we assume they don't exist. Head of the External Church Relations Department of Moscow Patriarch Metropolitan Hilarion said on some television channel. To support his contention, he mentioned a book by Haromonk Seraphim Rose, a prominent theologian of the Russian church abroad, called Orthodoxy and the Religion of the Future. The book contains testimonies by people who have seen aliens and UFOs, and the author compares these stories to manifestations of demons, stories that exist in abundance in hagiographic literature. He proved in his book that people who allegedly have seen demons really or have seen aliens have really saw demons, whose existence many people now refuse to believe in. The church believes the existence of angels and demons, not because it's stated somewhere, but because it is confirmed by the centuries-old experience of church people, he said. All right, hopping on over to another article. We're at Truth Story. Exploring the validity of alien phenomena. Why, what might be their nature if they exist? In parentheses it says demonic. Their evolutionary connection and the reviewing the biblical data. So I have a feeling this article is going to be slightly biased towards its outcome. Short answer, aliens or intelligent and communicative non-human life forms as well-documented entities. They are somehow related to demons or fallen angels and are often cited as evidence of evolution. The Bible addresses aliens because it addresses demons. Assuming that aliens are related to demons, that is, it also records some interesting phenomena that may relate to aliens or alien technology. Long answer, aliens are a hot topic these days. Since the alleged Roswell alien ship crash in 1947 to the endless documentaries on Netflix, people want to know about aliens. Do they exist? Where are they from? What do they want? Are among many questions skeptics and believers ask. Some also wonder if the Bible has anything to say about aliens. After all, if aliens exist and the Bible is true, Shouldn't the Bible say something about them? In this post, I aim to explore the validity of alien phenomena, what might be their nature if they exist, their evolutionary connection, and finally a look at what the Bible has to say about aliens. Do aliens exist? There are two streams of evidence for the existence of alien life forms. One stream comes from the alternate camp, aka the conspiracy camp, while the other is from the mainstream camp. The alternative or conspiracy camp has long been suspicious of any official commentary on hard-to-believe phenomena, from the JFK assassinations to UFOs. This group has sought out unofficial explanations for strange things. In general, the alternate camp seems more open to all types of evidence. And then it has a Bible verse. Colossians 1.16 For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Personally, I am interested in conspiracy or non-mainstream content. I do not endorse everything they publish since some of their content is blatantly anti-Christian, but I provide the info to help you decide whether aliens exist. For instance, Serious Disclosure in 2017 proposes several lines of evidence for aliens, including 800 people who affirm alien or alien technology in the U.S. government or military, Atacama humanoid body, that has alien question mark in parentheses. World governments acknowledge existence of aliens at various times, including UK, US, Australia, New Zealand, Brazil, Russia, Canada, Denmark, France, Japan, and more. And hundreds of photographs and videos of aliens or UFOs. On the other side, there's mainstream stream of alien evidences and hypothesis. These sources usually ignore the photographs and videos because they can be faked. Non-alternative sources tend to accept data that is vetted by the scientific community. NBC News in 2015, a mainstream outlet, cites several reasons why alien life forms are possible. These include the number of potential planets in the universe provide ample opportunity for life to arise through evolutionary processes. Life thrives in extreme environments, hence life on planets can do the same. Recorded radio signals at various times indicate non-random intelligence from afar. Believing in alien life forms used to be confirmed to the fringe or confined to the fringe elements of society. But with the consistent dripping of information from alternative to mainstream news sources, more Americans believe in some form of alien life forms than not. According to YouGov poll, a 54% of Americans believe in aliens as of 2015. Apparently, the evidence is fairly convincing. What are aliens and what, where are they from? There is one primary feature that distinguishes an alien life form from other life forms. It must be a biological entity that originated somewhere other than Earth, hence the term extraterrestrial. Two other features are usually highlighted in research, intelligence and communication. In other words, ETs are usually not described as single-celled amoebas by those who claim contact with aliens, but can process information similar to or better than humans. Secondly, these aliens can communicate with us. Many claim aliens use telepathy, unlike typical human language. Again, it has a Bible verse. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Opinions vary on the nature of aliens. Many accept the traditional explanation that aliens originated in some other part of the galaxy. These beings have supposedly traveled many light years to arrive on Earth. However, many Christians researchers reject this idea. They opt for a more sinister explanation, that aliens are more spiritual in nature or demons with alien skin. One author gives 10 reasons why aliens are demons. His reasons include, Aliens exhibit similar behavior to biblical demons. 
Aliens explaining their origins change as time goes on, and knowledge of the cosmos improves. Aliens also often contact occultists and New Agers, and not Christians. Alien abductions can be stopped by invoking the name of Jesus. Michael Hauser is an Old Testament scholar and Christian ufologist. Heiser agrees that aliens are somehow related to demons. He helped produce a 90-minute documentary explaining how aliens are really demonic in nature. Aliens and Evolution God created everything. If aliens exist, God either created them or allowed for them to develop into what they are now. That would be a basic Christian belief. However, many alien believers reject this pre presumption. Instead, they import their own evolutionary biases into the subject and assume aliens evolved on other planets just like human beings evolved on Earth. Astrophysicist Jason Lyle commented on this theory. The idea of extraterrestrial life stems largely from a belief in evolution. Recall that in an evolutionary view, the Earth is just another planet. One where the conditions just happen to be right for life to form and evolve. If there are countless billions of other planets in our galaxy, then surely at least a handful of these worlds would also have had the right conditions. Extraterrestrial life is almost inevitable in an evolutionary worldview. Aliens seem to be part of yet another plank in a rickety platform of modern evolutionary theory. If aliens exist and presumably evolved on other planets, it would be a vote of confidence for the evolutionary worldview. This is almost a universal belief in the non-Christian segments of the UFO community. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Whether macroevolution, non-human life is greater, or non-life is greater than humans, actually happen in a separate discussion entirely. The point is, aliens are used to justify that belief. And if aliens are really demonic in origin, their existence would not help evolutionary theory. What the Bible says about aliens. So does the Bible mention aliens? Assuming that aliens are demonic entities, the Bible has much to say about them. Demons, that is. Demons shudder at God, possesses certain people like puppets, inhabit pigs, teaches things about scripture, give false signs and miraculous power, in that sense, the Bible has much to say about demons, if they are aliens. Alright, one guy says, The Bible is silent about extraterrestrial life forms as popularized in science fiction and entertainment media. Yet it is by no means silent about real extraterrestrial life in all its great abundance. The beings spoken of in the Bible are real. They have appeared and spoken directly to humans. The Bible records the existence of many millions of angelic beings who are ministering spirits to mankind in fulfillment of God's purpose. On the other hand, the Bible mentions other phenomena that Christians and non-Christian researchers have tied to aliens. These events should always be interpreted with a biblical framework, though they are not always treated like that. Examples are, The Nephilim were born to the daughters of men and the sons of God indicating the existence of angelic and human hybrid beings, possibly alien life forms. Elijah was taken up in heaven in a chariot of fire, 
akin to a UFO. Ezekiel's wheels have been interpreted as UFOs. Zachariah's flying scroll is sometimes interpreted as a UFO. In sum, the Bible addresses aliens, but not in the same categories as modern ufologists. Often the researchers reinterpret biblical texts to fit their traditional beings from other galaxies' worldview, but that does not align with normal biblical interpretation. This is a problem. All right. Warning to would-be alien theologians. Several alien religions have developed since the mid-20th century. One of the more famous UFO religions is Raelism, a movement that boasted 90,000 members, and in 90 countries 2012. Other alien religions include Scientology, the Arthur, the Aetherius Society, and the Heaven's Gate group, gaining notoriety when 38 followers committed suicide, awaiting a supposed journey on the passing Hale-Bopp Comet in 1997. Like other non-Christian religions, these groups deny basic Christian doctrine and interpret biblical stories to accommodate their alien worldview. Some even teach that Jesus was an alien. The heretical groups or cults are not Christian. Like other false prophets, these groups may lead many astray from the simplicity of Christianity. All right. All right. That was written by Brandon Clay. He is a Reformed Baptist Christian. All right. So that was one perspective. And let's take a break. All right. With that in mind, uh, let's hop over to what planets can sustain life. We hop into futurism.com and meet seven alien planets most likely to have life by Jolene Creighton. On universe, our universe is a terribly large place. It extends some 92 to 93 billion light years end to end. And the kicker, this is just the observable universe. Ultimately, there's a grand portion of the cosmos that we cannot see. The universe is so young that light from this distant region of space hasn't had time to reach us yet. And because the universe is expanding at faster than the speed of light, we will never be able to see or reach this portion of the universe. But what we can see of the cosmos cosmos is rather populated. Conservative estimates assert that the observable universe may contain as many as, wow, that's a big number. Um, let's just say it's the biggest number I've ever seen, and it's more than a trillion. <laughs> Five trillion, but it's like more than that. Habitable worlds. Oh, good, I was close. That's 5.3 trillion planets that might contain life. Of course, not all of these ne necessarily have the ability to contain life as we know it, but they may harbor life as we don't know it. 
Generally speaking, in order to be considered a candidate for Earth-like life, the planet must be in the habitable zone of its star. Terrestrial, which means not a gas giant, and within the acceptable size for life to form. 0.5 to 2 times the mass of Earth. As a refresher, the habitable zone in the area surrounding a planet where liquid water can theoretically exist. That said, there are numbers of worlds that may contain extremophiles and other forms of exotic organisms. The below sums up some worlds that we've discovered that scientists believe may contain alien life and which we could inhabit. Number one. Kepler-186f One of the most likely candidates for life as we know it is Kepler-186f. In fact, this is a planet that, if we could get there, might be able to colonize with relative ease. Sadly, the world is 490 light-years away, so it would take us hundreds of thousands of years to reach, even using very liberal and generous estimates. The planet was discovered back in April of 2014, just about a year ago, so this was written in 2015. This falls well into the category of potential Earth-like planets, as it is within the habitable zone of its star, is terrestrial, and is just 10% larger than Earth. Ultimately, Kepler-186f is just the outermost of five known planets in the Kepler-186 system, Kepler-186 is a red dwarf star, which means this is that it is considerably smaller and dimmer than our own sun. More than 70% of the Milky Way's 100 billions of stars are red dwarfs. The Planetary Habitability Laboratory created an excellent comparison of a Korean Caribbean sunset as it appears on Earth, and how a similar spot might look if it were on Kepler-186f at dusk. Note the similarity in size of the stars. This is because, despite the fact that Kepler-186 is considerably smaller, the planet is closer. Right, number two. Kepler-283c. Kepler-283c was discovered along with the host of other worlds as part of an enormous data dump from the Kepler Space Telescope. This data contained a staggering 700 newly confirmed exoplanets. Keep in mind, just 20 years ago, we didn't know of any planets in our other solar systems, so 700 in one go is quite staggering. However, this world is on the border of being able to support Earth-like life. It is about twice the size of Earth and orbits much closer to its home star, which is over 17 light years from Earth. But again, due to the decreased size of the star, it is still well within the bounds of Kepler-283's habitable zone. 3 and 4. Gliese 667cf and 667ce. Personally, if we were going to try and make our way to any planet that might be habitable, I think it would make an argument for either Gliese 667CF or Gliese 667CE. That's because these worlds would offer an amazing view. Why? They have three suns. Because this is a triple star system, 
there are two of the strangest potentially habitable worlds that we've ever discovered. Like the other worlds covered, both planets fall inside their star's habitable zone, and at just 22.1 light years away, it would take some time to get there, but the travel would be a tiny bit more manageable. 5 and 6, Kepler 62e and Kepler 62f. As their name suggests, these Kepler 62 planets are, are some other worlds that were discovered by NASA's Kepler Space Telescope. These planets would give us a little more room to work with, as 62e is about 16 times more massive than Earth, and 62f is just about 14 times as massive. The worlds are quite these worlds are quite out there, at least as far as our ability to travel goes. They wander through space about 1,200 light years from Earth in the constellation of Lyra. And if you were born on 62E, you would be quite a bit older than you are now. It completes one lap around its parent star, which is a red dwarf, every 122 days. 67F has an orbit of some 267 Earth days. Researchers think that both 62E and 62F are water worlds, warm places mostly, or completely covered by liquid water, so they would be absolutely awesome to visit. Imagine how big the whales may be here, but living there long term might be quite difficult. Number 7. Gliese 581d Gliese 581d is another one of our galactic neighbors in the grand scheme of things. It's basically just around the corner. This world is just 20 light years away, the closest planet covered on this list. However, despite its close proximity and its location to its star's hab habitable zone, the planet might have thick carbon dioxide atmosphere. This would make it rather inhospitable, as we need to bring breathe oxygen. However, scientists also believe it could be rocky with liquid water. So although it might not be too grand for us, scientists think that it could harbor stunning rainforests. And even if it does have oxygen, humans would find it a little difficult to thrive there, as it is some seven times more massive than Earth and about twice its size. Still, since Earth since it is essentially an Earth's backyard, we might want to go at it anyway. If we ever get the tech to utilize interstellar travel, that is. All right, very cool stories. Um, I'll let you decide for yourself um, on these personal account stories, these governments starting to take this stuff seriously and claim it as like, yeah, we've officially noticed and we're looking into it. And then some of the stories that were a little out there, you know, like aliens being demons. If that's your opinion, I don't mean to offend. It's just not my opinion on the subject. Um, and it's really cool to see that there are other planets out there that could host us. That's not to say that there are not planets out there that could host other life that is not so dependent on oxygen and water as we are. But I digress. Very cool subject. I'm sure I could make a lot more episodes about this subject because there's just so much information out there. So with that being said, thank you for being with me today. 
Make sure to join us on our Facebook page, Paranormal Stories and Spooky Shiz. Spooky Shiz in parentheses. It's a great way to connect with me and send me your stories. Alright, with that being said, thank you for being here today, and stay spooky, my friends. Hey, my spooky friends. I'm taking a hiatus from the podcast for now. As always, supernatural things really ramp up whenever I talk about them. I will still post or put out a new episode from time to time, but for now, I gotta do what's best for me and my peace of mind. Things have been adding up. Last night, my dogs barked and growled for a couple hours while I was putting together an episode on selling your soul. Also, I couldn't soothe them or make them quit. I had to actually call somebody to come over before they would even calm down. That, on top of seeing things in my house and stuff being thrown, I'm just going to step away from now. I am, sim- I am sensitive to these things, and I guess I've been manifesting this energy all month. Hopefully, I can get it sorted soon so I can get back to the podcast. I am grateful for any who have listened this far. I will be also working on a new podcast called The Not Normal Podcast. You can join me at Facebook over at The Not Normal Podcast. It's in a public group. And I'd like to wish you all stay spooky, my friends, but not too spooky.